Hi, this is Angel Wilson and this is Spark Up. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode. Can you believe this is the final episode of season one of Spark Up? So hi and welcome to my little corner of the podcast world for the final episode of season one. I, I've said it multiple times and I still can't believe it's been an entire season. But um, hello, howdy, how are you guys doing? Um, for this final episode, I wanted to go back on a subject that I brought up for the first mini spark episode. So this is a mini spark, which means it's going to be a shorter episode, but it's going to be it's going to be pretty packed. I'm going to let you know right now. So this is actually following up with the first mini spark episode that I did, which was about the Judge Rottenberg Educational Center and ABAI. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry. I'm going to I'm going to summarize all of that from the last episode to catch everybody up, and then I'm going to update everyone on where that situation is now. So I'm going to jump right into it. So, first off, the Judge Rottenbird Educational Center is um, located in Massachusetts. It was founded in 1971. It's a nonprofit. It serves ages 5 and up. And they uh, handle um, people, individuals with uh, developmental and intellectual uh, disabilities and delays. This, of course, includes autism. They have quite a few autistic patients. The big concern with um, this center in particular is that it's the only center in the United States that still uses what is uh, called contingent electric skin shock or CESS. So skin shock therapy. Uh, they have their own device that they created just for their center. Um, they also use um, aversion therapy, which uh, has to do with using things such as food deprivation, restraint, and of course the aforementioned skin shocks. Needless to say, I have, me and a lot of individuals around the world have a huge issue with that. In fact, in 2013, the UN declared that the use of the device violated the United Nations Convention Against Torture. So even the UN is strongly against this, this approach and this form of uh, quote-unquote treatment. Now I tell you a bit about ABAI, which is the Association for Behavioral An Analysis International. They were founded in 1974, also a nonprofit. They're very big in the ABA world. And the reason why they're so important is that they basically approve the course curriculum required to become certified in behavioral an analysis. So that includes RBTs and BCBAs. Anyone who has any kind of certification, 99.9% .9 of the time, they're going to be coming through ABAI. So they have huge influence on the ABA world. So what's the connection between these two? Well, a former president of ABAI sits on the JRCs, that's the Judge Rottenberg Center, I'll call it JRC from here on out, sits on that center's board of directors. A member of ABAI sits on that uh, center's board. The JRC was invited by the a by ABAI to speak about the use of skin shock at this this year's ABAI annual convention. They gave two sessions. They had two sessions where they were giving data about it. ABAI has yet to condemn this device's usage. And at the time, the original um the original um episode on this, I mentioned that they created a task force to examine whether such an approach should be used. And it said their report is due September, 2022. So this episode is the update. We got a copy of the task force's report. Now, first of all, the task force, the task force's report 
was only released to full members of ABAI. So the general public was not supposed to see this, but a um, nonprofit self-advocacy group called Neuroclastic got a copy of it because they also know people who are ABAI members and they got a copy and released it and posted it. I may do another episode about Neuroclastic at some point. I would love to have someone representing them actually come on to the uh, podcast because they are pretty huge and they have been very adamant against the skin shock um, therapy and intervention approach. In fact, they they released a uh, report in August of last year um, called 900 ABA Professionals Have Weighed In on the Use of Electroshock at the Judge Rottenberg Center. And that survey they did found that 89% of the clinicians strongly opposed it and 70% believed that the JRC should be shut down. April 27th of this year, the JRC sent a cease and desist letter to Neuroclastic claiming that their accusations and what they were saying were false and causing harm. And so basically they, they, they filed a lawsuit against Neuroclastic. Um, so my viewpoint is if you have nothing to hide, why are you acting so scared? Um, why send a cease and desist and threaten a lawsuit on a organization that's a self-advocacy group of the very people that you claim to help? That's a huge red flag to me. So this episode is going to be covering some of the things that came up in that report. I'm not going to go over the entire report. Like I said, it's 34 pages long. I will be, I am going to be pulling up the report and give actual quotes from the report because I feel you guys need to hear the actual quotes. And then I'll kind of more or less translate it because some of it is in jargon speak a little bit. So, you know, so this report again was done by the task force that was put together by ABAI to examine whether or not uh, there is a need to use uh, CESS, which is the, again, the skin shock. I'll just call it CESS from here on out. A couple of quick key points about this, including things that I think completely fly in opposition to what the task force was supposed to do. So the ta- first, so first one, the task force visited JRC and used research from JRC to support the use of CESS. So they used research that the center itself had done and use that as a basis to support the continued use of skin shock. Just, just to get to the bottom of it, they still support the use of skin shock. They just said, oh, it just needs to be, you know, a last resort kind of thing. But yeah, they used research from the actual center that's under question. So basically, the institution at the center of this was used to support its own procedures because again, it's the only center in the country, in the United States, that's still using skin shock as an intervention. And they used its research to justify its behaviors. To me, it's like if people, let's say like cat and, and mice, if there's a cat that's, you know, really being mean to the mice and the mice go to everyone and say, hey, this cat's being really mean to us. And then we all go to the cat and say, hey, cat, the mice say that you're being mean to it. What's going on with that? And the cat's like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. This is fine. This is justified. And everyone goes, okay, cool. Well, the cat says it's fine, so it should be fine. 
that's basically what happened here. And I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because I'm appalled and my brain can't think of any other reaction other than just that weird kind of laugh that you do when you're extremely uncomfortable. So if you hear me laughing during this, I don't find this funny. It's because I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm kind of stunned. Like, really? So two, the task force talked to nine different ABA treatment facilities to learn how they deal with severe problem behavior without CESS. So basically, what do these other treatment facilities do to handle what they call severe behaviors? These include, by the way, things like self-injury, um, you know, harm to others, property destruction. But apparently, in some cases, it can also include, quote unquote, non-compliance, which isn't really defined. So that leaves the door open for a lot of interpretation. But um, so they talked to other nine other ABA treatment facilities. The one thing that they saw pretty frequently was that a lot of times these facilities used medications to help and assist. Matter of fact, I'm actually going to go to the section of the report. So we're going to go all the way over to page 12 of the report. <laughs> so I actually had to make notes of where in the report to find these things, because like I said, it's a very long report and it's very uh, it's it's pretty heavy with, uh, you know, jargon. A further complication, this is quoted directly from the report now, a further complication concerns the role of psychotropic medication in the treatment of severe problem behavior. Our interviews of leaders of various conventional behavior analytic treatment facilities indicate that psychotropic medication is commonly used to manage the most intensive forms of severe problem behavior. This observation is also supported by the literature. The medication status of participants in evaluations of behavioral analytic procedures is often unclear or unreported. Because the JRC's practice is to eliminate psychotropic medicine to the maximum extent possible, when comparing skin shock to alternatives, CESS to alternatives, it's important to remember that treatment programs of CESS rarely involve psychotropic medication, whereas the alternative programs may. Let me translate all that for you because that was a lot. They're basically saying that the other treatment facilities that they looked at usually use medication to help subdue symptoms with, with, their, with their clients. The JR Center does not do that. They do not use medication. They avoid it. So basically, instead of medication, they use skin shock. <laughs> and that's basically what they said. They're basically, I did not, now that part, I didn't know. That was news to me. I did not know that the JRC does not use any medications. Now, anyone that knows me knows I'm one of those ones that's like, you know what, uh, bring in medications when as kind of like the last resort and in conjunction with other forms of therapy. I don't include skin shock as being one of those forms of therapy, but I think it can be very beneficial if combined with other forms of intervention. So it's a bit bothersome to me that if they have clients there that have really severe behaviors that could benefit from medication, they're not using medication, but using skin shock instead. I, I don't. I I don't quite understand that. My I've been trying to wrap my brain around that. I can't. Again, I'm not I'm not someone who's like all hardcore, you know, you know, medication as the first, you know, first uh impulse. Definitely not. But I also would definitely prefer medication over skin shock. Um, strongly prefer medication over skin shock. I think most clients would probably strongly prefer medication over skin shock. But that's just you know my personal opinion. 
So that's, uh, you know, insight number two. Uh, insight number three, most of the studies the task force uses to support CESS or skin shock are not recent. The oldest one I saw that they cited was from 1989. There are people listening to this podcast right now who weren't even alive when that, when that was when that was used. Uh, other years include 1990, 1994. 1996. Um, there are a couple of that, a couple of um, research reports that they use that are more recent from 2020 and 2021. But these recent reports were from, you guessed it, the JRC, the very place that they're supposed to be, you know, overseeing and investigating. Well, they made a point to say they're not investigating the center; they're investigating the use of this therapy. They made a very, very strong point to to separate those two. Like we're not investigating the institution. We're not investigating the center. We're investigating the use of this particular approach. And I was like, okay, fair enough. Anyone who knows me knows that um, I I am very strongly all for research, but I also understand that science changes over time. Viewpoints change over time. When you have to go back and quote research from 1989 you might be doing it wrong. I'm just just saying. Um, And their argument was that, well, there hasn't been any, any, you know, research recently to, you know, regarding skin shock. Well, that's because no one's doing it. Why would there be research on something that no one is doing? (laughs) There's, There's a reason why there is no current research on it because no one is doing it because most of the society believes that this is not healthy this is not right this is not ethical that's why there's no recent research on it that's like you know we're going to go back and look at research on homosexuality and back in 1989 it was considered to be a, a a mental health disorder yeah that's not the case anymore because science changed and we we evolved from that this is no different so if you're quoting using research from back in like the 80s and the 90s that's probably a sign that this is an archaic form of treatment just saying, if you can't find anything recent and the only recent data you can find is from the very place that everyone is upset about because they're still doing it. Yeah, that's probably because the approach is archaic and needs to stop. Um, there was one particular study, uh, Zarcon et al. Et al. usually means, by the way, that there were other researchers involved, but Zarcon was the main head researcher. So whenever you see a, a study that says, you know, Williams et al., Zarcon et al., Wilson et al., that means that that was the head researcher, but that also means there were multiple other researchers who were all involved in this process and in this study. So this study by Zarcon et al. from 2020 gives evidence against CESS and was quoted by multiple other ABA organizations, and there are a lot of them, who are against this process. But the task force dismissed this because they said, and I quote, research to date does not provide strong evidence that CESS is associated with negative side effects. Translation, uh, we don't see anybody crying or screaming about it in the research, so skin shock must be okay. Folks, there is video that flies directly in opposition to what they just said. I have actually seen it. CBS did a report years ago on this center and they included video that 
that showed this being done. Someone was being restrained on a table and they were being skin shocked and they were screaming. And it went on for several minutes. It was literally aired (laughs) by CBS. So right there, I can tell you right now, I have seen it. I have unfortunately seen it and heard it. I honestly wouldn't recommend going to go look for it because it's, it's, it's disturbing. And yeah, there's actual evidence against it. Like there's actual concrete evidence against this, but they're saying, well, we didn't see it in the literature because no one has been doing reports on this because it's unethical. (laughs) You see how this has become like a, a loop? Like it's just a, a, I don't know. It's like a catch 22 kind of loop. I, the amount of hoops that they're jumping through to justify this just, it's unbelievable to me. So I'm sorry if I sound like a bit more uh, just off center than most of my um, recordings, but it's because this just appalls me to that extent. I'm This just infuriates me. And so this is funny. This is the last episode. Yeah, this is the season finale. And this is probably the most angry you're going to hear me for this entire season. So yeah, sorry, not sorry. Uh, point number four, they actually went to visit the uh, the actual, the center. They spoke to four clients, one black female, one black male, two white males. All four of the clients had CESS skin shock on their treatment plans, but only one who was called client one was only one was being currently subjected to the skin shock. I'm going to read another quote directly from the report. They put this in the report. and I'm going to read it verbatim because it's pretty self-explanatory. So they're saying, again, all had CESS as part of the treatment plans, but only client one was receiving CESS at the time of our visit. And I quote from the task force actual report, client one, unsolicited and without prompting, asked the task force members to remove them from the JRC because they didn't want CESS. The remaining clients only spoke about CESS in response to questions from the task force. Client two stated that they would have preferred medication or restraint to CESS and that CESS did not help. Client three stated that they did not like the JRC or CESS and didn't think that CESS helped. Client four, who had no intellectual disabilities, stated that CESS saved them from binding themselves and that they approved of their treatment plan. So first of all, you have three of the four who did not like this approach. And the fourth client, I find it very interesting that they made a point to say that client four had no intellectual disabilities. They didn't say that about the previous three clients. To me, that's making an imp that's implying something without directly stating it. And this is why it's important to kind of like read between the lines of some of these things by stating that client four, the only one who approved of it has no intellectual disabilities. They're basically saying the first three clients are against it, but they have intellectual disabilities. So we don't really, you know, that, you know, their, their opinion, eh, but client four, they don't have any intellectual disabilities. So therefore their opinion, it's by saying that it's implied that they have a better view of it or they have a better understanding of it. Words are important. 
words are extremely important and stuff like this. And so that struck, first of all, the fact that three out of the four were saying, we don't want this, please stop. That's important to me. It shouldn't matter if they have intellectual disability or not. That's irrelevant to the situation. If they are saying they do not want this skin shock, that needs to be honored. It's in ABA's own ethical guidelines that you need patient assent or consent in order to go forward with any procedures done with them, any interventions done. So not only are you violating, they they just blatantly said in the report that they are violating these patients' consent. They're ignoring it. The, The patients, three out of the four, made it clear they don't want this, and yet it's on their treatment plan and it's continuing. But because they, it's assumed now, based on how they worded that, it's assumed that the first three must have intellectual disability. Because they have intellectual disability, we're not going to their opinion doesn't matter. Is that what we're saying? Because that's what's strongly implied. I'm not saying directly that's what they're saying, but by saying that about client four, that they had no intellectual disabilities, they're implying it. They're strongly implying that client four, you know, has their wits about them more than the other three clients and therefore client four should be given more weight. That is really underhanded. That is really sinister. That's really disturbing. It doesn't matter if the delay is intellectual. It doesn't matter if it's developmental. It doesn't matter what it is. These are still human beings. And per ABA's own ethical guidelines, they need to be able to provide consent. Three out of the four made it clear they do not consent to this, and it was ignored. I don't see how in any shape or form you can justify that. I really don't. I I don't understand how that and how... To me, it's like at that point, the entire report is null and void to me because it's like, I don't care what you guys say at this point. The fact is you have patients who are saying they don't want this and you're ignoring it. And the justification that you're implying is that because they have intellectual disabilities, they can't decide whether or not they, they can't choose for themselves. That's what you're implying. And that just made you look even worse than you did before. And tying into point four, point five. Client consent is not given. Um, So this is, again, straight from the task force. This is straight from their report. And I quote, Finally, according to the Ethics Code for Behavioral Analyst, which is from the board as of 2020, behavioral analysts are responsible for for obtaining assent or consent from clients when appropriate. Currently, client preference or assent does not appear to be considered when selecting CESS, even among those with the capacity to make their preferences known. So in other words, they don't get client consent. Um, <laughs> I, again, I just that part alone, their own ethical guidelines. I, I don't know. I, I don't, I really don't even know what else to say to that. Like, I don't know how you can in any shape or form justify this approach. If in your own research of talking to the clients, the majority of the clients you took, mind you, they only talked to four. From what I read, there about there's about close to three hundred total there, and there's about fifty some, fifty almost sixty that have skin shock on their treatment plans. Doesn't mean they're getting it executed at that moment, but it's on the treatment plans as an option. And out of that fifty some people, they only talked to four, and of those four. 
three said they did not want it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see how this, uh, this, this uh, report, I don't think this helped their case in any shape or form. Multiple ABA organizations have come out against this report and the recommendations. Um, the only recommendation everybody seems to agree on is that, yes, there needs to be client consent. But myself and a huge chunk of ABA associations included have all kind of said, you know what? Uh, no, <laughs> this shouldn't be happening anyway to begin with. So it shouldn't even be an issue of consent or not, because this shouldn't be happening. I wanted to uh, mention real quick the agencies who have come out against this. So this is also from the from the report. Several professional associations and organizations have released position statements against the use of CESS, including the Association of Professional Behavioral Analysts, the Massachusetts Association for Behavioral Analysts, the California Association for Behavioral Analysts, the European Association for Behavioral Analysts, and the International Association for the Scientific Study of Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities. They even also add regulations in many American states prevent behavior analysts from using CESS in certain settings like education or when receiving funding from, from certain sources. Yeah, because it's unethical. <laughs> I, I don't, it's funny to me how, and I saw a comment, there was a petition that I saw that was being uh, written up as a result of this, this uh, report being released. And one of the comments in the um, petition said, I don't understand why in the world we ban and, and are strongly against shot collars for dogs, like adamantly against it. And yet one of the biggest governing bodies of ABA seems to be perfectly okay with doing something similar for human beings. And I was like, yeah, that, that pretty much sums it up quite nicely. <laughs> quite nicely. So. um What's next for, for all of this? Uh, I'm sure that there have been multiple lawsuits attempting to shut this place down. They have thrown tens of thousands of dollars at uh, lobbying to protect this center. Um, actually, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm tens of thousands. No, hundreds of thousands of dollars um, trying to protect this center. And I'm sure lawsuits are going to continue. Um, I don't know if they're going to go anywhere. I know that 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 fight's continuing. The pushback on ABAI, I'm sure, will continue. I'm hoping more and more within their ranks. There's quite a few that are speaking up against it, so I'm very happy to see that. There's quite a few within the ABA community who are really, really uh, pushing you know, back against this. Um, Folks like me are going to continue to speak on the subject. I want to give a shout out real quick to Bearded Behavioralist. Uh, he's on Facebook. I believe he's also on um, TikTok and Instagram. And he was the one, he is a BCBA and he's also on the autism spectrum. He is the one who first brought this to light for me. He was the one that I, that I first got this from. So huge shout out to him. And he's continuing to speak up against this. And I hope he continues. Uh, Big shout out to Neuroclastic. Again, fully support what all of you are doing. Continue to speak up. I'm definitely going to continue to speak up because this needs to be this. I've met people in the ABA field who do not know that this is happening. 
And this needs to be known, not just across the ABA field, it needs to be known, period. The general public needs to know about this because we're in 2022. We should not be using skin shock to, quite frankly, treat anything like this. Um, And it's appalling that this is still going on. And it's appalling that a huge governing body of one of the biggest fields in autism is all for this and is fine with it. So yes, if as things kind of develop and pop up, I'll continue to keep all of you updated on it. But um, I wanted to update you on the task force. On the website uh, for my podcast, Spark Up Autism, we're going to put a link that will send you directly to the copy of the report so you can read it for yourself. Like I said, it's long. It's 34 pages. But I really think if you consider yourself to be in, uh, if you're autistic, I, if you are an ally or a supporter, if you are a family member to someone who is on the spectrum, if uh, if you are a provider and work with autistic kids, teens, adults, if you are a, a, a pediatrician, if you do any kind of work that puts you anywhere in the vicinity of autistic individuals or people with intellectual disabilities or developmental delays, I think you need to read this report. You need to see what's being said about this. You need to see the viewpoint of this and you need to see this this is this ugly aspect inside of ABA. I'm not saying all the ABA, you know, folks think like this. They don't, thankfully. But um, it really needs to be brought out into the open because this has gone on far too long. It's appalling and it needs to stop. Hey, it's Feature Angel here. So uh, I'm coming to you from about a week after this uh, episode was recorded because we have a huge update that came down from ABAI. So, of course, we were just talking about the task force that was created to look into whether or not skin shock was appropriate. And the task force actually came back and said that they thought that it was appropriate under certain conditions, as we were saying in the in the episode. But that had to go to a vote with all the members of ABAI. And the members of ABAI voted otherwise. They said universally across the board, no. So whatever is voted on, that has to be the official response and the official statement of ABAI. So they released on the 16th of November this lovely little uh, position statement. And I'm actually going to read the statement to you, or at least part of the statement, and then kind of say in layman's terms what this means. The Association for Behavior Analysis International, ABAI, and its members respect the personal dignity and worth of every human being and affirm each individual's right to effective behavioral treatment and to freedom from inappropriate, unnecessary, and or intrusive interventions. Behavioral analytic principles constitute the foundation of the professional practice of applied behavioral analysis and are essential to ethically sound and effective treatment programs. In accordance with these values, we strongly oppose the use of contingent electric skin shock, CESS, under any condition. So translation, everything that they were saying in the in the uh, the task force report, eh, just <laughs> it didn't matter because uh, the members all said otherwise. I want to read this second uh, paragraph because this is really important. I'll tell you why in a bit. Our concerns center upon human rights, insufficient evidence demonstrating the efficacy of CESS compared to alternative treatments, a lack of social validity, 
and consistent cultural considerations being raised by individuals and organizations worldwide. Practices related to the use of CESS have the potential to harm individuals who receive it. The potential for harm is critical to consider when the procedure is applied to vulnerable populations and in a variety of cultural contexts, inside and outside of the United States. We are committed to promoting human rights, creating equitable and safe environments for all individuals, and respecting individual diversity and autonomy of all. As an international membership organization, this position statement is critical and necessary for upholding our commitment to sound ethical practice. This position and rationale are based on a careful review of relevant evidence, ethical standards, and commentary received regarding the cultural implications, particularly for countries where CESS is illegal. The biggest thing I want to be taken from this is the fact that they said considerations being raised by individuals and organizations worldwide. There was a huge pushback on this position when it first came out, which is what I'm talking about in the beginning of this episode. Huge pushback from hundreds of ABA organizations around the world, thousands of individuals who are in the ABA field, I don't countless autistic individuals and individuals like myself who are not in ABA, not autistic, but also looking at this saying, this is wrong. So that shows the power of the voice. I think this drives home really well how if we speak up for things that we see in the autism and autistic communities that is not right, that is violating civil rights, that is not equal, if we speak up about it, we can actually make a change. We literally reversed the ABAI and no one can downplay or or try to dismiss the power that those collective voices had. So. I just want to say a win is a win. This is a win. I have no idea if the uh, JRC, if the Judge Rottenberg Center is going to, you know, actually change their tactics on this <laughs> based on this or if they're going to continue their uh, their approach. But they no longer have the support on paper. They no longer have the support of the ABAI. So I think this is a huge win. I'm going to go back to the regularly scheduled program. I just wanted to jump in and give that quick update. We get to go into this holiday season with a win. You guys have a great season. Happy holidays. So um, I know that was that was a very somber episode to wrap up the, the season. But um, again, the report had come out. I felt the need to share the report. I like to keep you guys updated. Yes, we, we like to have you know fun and have really great conversations on this podcast. But I also feel like we need to share important information on this podcast and we need to tell the truth and sometimes it has to be blunt and sometimes it has to be straightforward and sometimes it's not pretty and in this case it's not pretty but it needs to be said like i said this is the last uh episode of season one spark up will be taking a break for the holiday season so we will there will be no more new episodes for the rest of 2022 that's for uh, myself, my editor, all of us to kind of just rest up uh, and start brainstorming for season two in 2023. Uh, we've already started bouncing ideas for that. I'm already getting excited about it. I think it's going to be awesome. Um, I just want to say uh, shout out to uh, Be Well PBC. They were the ones that gave the grant to even start this podcast. So it wouldn't have even gotten off the ground without them. And they have been super supportive through the whole process. So thank you guys so much uh, for 
your support. And if you're in Palm Beach County, check them out because they do a lot of great work in the community. And I don't think enough people know about them. So definitely uh, uh, check them out. So Be Well PBC, thank you so much for um, your support in this endeavor. And to all of you, all of you who have been listening in, who have been tuning in, who have been sharing links to the podcast, I appreciate each and every one of you. You guys are incredible. You guys are amazing. I hope you continue to do that. I hope you continue to tune in and and learn. And as always, if you want to be part of the conversation, if you want to possibly be on for season two as a guest, or if you have ideas for topics, feel free to, to let me know. Hit me up. Uh, you can email me at angelw, A-N-G-E-L-W, at sparkguidance.com. Spark Guidance spelled S-P-A-R-C-G-U-I-D-A-N-C-E. Com. If you want to go to the main website for this podcast, that is sparkupautism.com. And like I said, under this episode, we will put a link for this report because again, I think everyone needs to read it. Spark Up Autism all, all together, S-P-A-R-C-U-P-A-U-T-I-S-M. And then you can also hit me up on Instagram at Spark Guidance. So again, thank you for joining me for this this journey so far i'm really looking forward to where the journey continues to go thank you for joining me for season one i hope you guys have a really blessed safe holiday season you know take care of yourselves practice self-care it can get really stressful during this time period so look out for yourself look out for each other and of course remember be blessed don't be stressed bye